Welcome to the Long Take Review, a film podcast with one eye always on the Oscars. I'm your host, Jen Sipchakta Banker, and I have with me today a record number of cold pilots. Let's just hope we don't all crash Harrison Ford style. Uh, first up, <laughs> we've got, you know, he's got to get out of the library. It's Ion Cannon himself, Greg Cass. Greg, how's it going? Jen, I miss the desert. I miss the sea, and I miss waking up every morning wondering what wonderful adventure the new day will bring to us. Wow, that was surprisingly nice. <laughs> uh, and next up, he's like a bad penny. He always turns up. It's P.T. McNiff. How are you doing, P.T.? Going to the moon is like going to Reno in the middle of nowhere with no blackjack. <laughs> I just realized these, these quotes might be spoiling Although <laughs> Greg's Greg, yeah. Greg's quote was in the trailer, at least. Um, and then finally, I think he chose poorly when he agreed to come on this podcast. It's first time guest, Jim Clements. Welcome to the show, Jim. How are you feeling? I'm feeling like I should have prepared a, a pithy re response to what you just said. But um, next time I come, I'll, I'll, I'll be prepared. <laughs> that, is, that is totally fine. Uh, and that is actually something that these two just started doing. And now this is what we do. So <laughs> you can blame them. Right. Um, they can just choose to stop it. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> to, to kill all momentum. Um, so as you can probably guess, we are here today. I've gathered this esteemed cadre of indie fans to discuss Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. The fifth and allegedly, though anything can happen, we've been here before, uh, final Indiana Jones film starring Harrison Ford. Uh, so this is, if this is your first time listening, we'll have a relatively short spoiler-free section at the top designed for those who have not had a chance to see the film. Then after a very clear spoiler warning, we will go into more depth and comb through every inch of this movie like it's an archaeological dig. Uh, so first, Jim, I want to give you the floor if you want to share your... Because you, you wanted to join us for our uh, retrospective preview of all the other Indiana Jones movies. So if you have rankings that you want to share or just some context of like, what is your relationship to this character? Kind of like, what is your mindset? What sure. was your mindset kind of going into this movie? And then we'll go. From sure. There. Well, I, yes, I really did want to be involved in that. And I did rewatch all four movies, including um, the kingdom of the crystal skull in order to prepare for that, which I think is a, is a testament to my um, discipline. I also did reread some of the abandoned scripts, such as uh, Indiana Jones and the monkey King, um, and Indiana Jones and the Saucer Men from Mars, and so on and so forth, or the City of God, I think it was. Um, to get so I'm, I was in it. I'm in it, and I, and I am. I'm here. I, I'm prepared. Um, I wanted to do this because Indiana Jones, when I was eight, was my thing. Um, I think you know where all my other friends were watching Star Wars and the other things. I was. It was all Indiana Jones, and I would have been Indiana Jones for every Halloween if my mother could have afforded a leather jacket for an eight-year-old. Um, but it just wasn't, it just wasn't happening. Um, but I, yeah, I played all the games, the LucasArts games, uh, Rick Dangerous knockoffs, um, uh, the Dark Horse comic books, the whole thing. I, I lived and breathed Indiana Jones. Um, and so it's very, very close to my heart. Um, so I'm excited to be here to talk about this. My, my film ranking, uh, uh, Last Crusade would be my number one by, by a long stretch. That was my Indiana Jones movie. I think I might even have seen it first, although I'm not entirely sure. Um, then it would be Raiders, obviously. Um, Temple of Doom, which is, I think, there's two movies going on there. 
um, there are, you know, the most fantastic, some of the most fantastic action sequences in any of them, the minecart, the, um, the rope bridge, the, the white rod or raft, you know, all that stuff is, is fantastic. And then you just have Lily Scott screaming um, in your ear for the other half of the movie, which is makes it almost unbearable. And then, you know, all the, all the casual racism. Um, and then there's uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, I I think I would put it fifth now, having seen Dial of Destiny, um, but it's a close call, um, and we, we can get into that a little bit later. Um, but um, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is, to me, like it does a very similar thing that the prequels did to the Star Wars movies, which is that when you think about it when you watch crystal skull right after watching the other three original ones it makes a lot of sense because it makes you see how cartoony and sort of old-fashioned and boys old adventure the original three were and it makes you wonder if maybe the original three weren't as good as you thought they were <laughs> right which is what the prequels did to star wars right it's like when you look at them and you go, oh, he thought he was making children's movies. And then you watch the original Star Wars movies and you go, oh, he was making children's movies <laughs> that kind of went wrong and became something else. So that, that's kind of my, my hot take on Crystal Skull. I think it, it is not as different to the originals as we thought. It's just, it's just like five degrees wrong. Um, and we hate it so much because of the way it makes us see the original ones worse. Ooh. And that's my dark take to get us started. <laughs> that's a, it's a fantastic note to start on. I, I love it. Um, I was worried. I'm like, is someone, is, is, is someone going to go into fisticuffs mode already? We're like 30 seconds in. Um, but no, I think, I think that's a really, I hadn't really heard that take before even from you and that's a really interesting way to kind of read that yeah and and some deep introspection that i think is fitting of this movie <laughs> for sure um well so let's start with your short take so you've alluded to a little bit already uh so now we're going to do what what was everyone's overall impressions of the film were you happy with it how did you feel about it how did it match up to expectations so jim if you want to just keep going on that hot take train well, um, I actually saw a review of this on Reddit um, right before coming, and it captured my feelings of Dial of Destiny perfectly. So I'm, I'm going to read the whole thing. This is how it goes. <laughs> Just saw Dial of Destiny. It was pretty good. I thought it was fun. Action adventure. Good villain. There you go. It's done. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. Uh, and, like, not the 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 rhythm and the syntax of that is like not necessarily what I would associate with Reddit, which is like, I associate stereotypical Reddit posts to me are like super effusive and angry. <laughs> so that's, yeah. that's great. Um, well, because there's this thing going on in the Indiana Jones Reddit right now, which is that like everyone outside of that Reddit is just crapping on this movie. But in that movie, they're really on that Reddit. They're really trying to hold the line. But what they're saying is I really liked it. It was really good. I had a nice time in the cinema. There were some good bits. I left happy. My children liked it. And that's it. You know? And I get it because preparing for our conversation today, I struggled 
to have that much more to say about it. It's not that I disliked it. I didn't dislike it. I thought it was good. But I find myself <laughs> struggling to say very much more than that about it. So, you know, this might not be our longest podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't worry. Don't worry. We've got for, for whoever's about to speak next. <laughs> um, we'll find a way. Yeah, well, <laughs> life finds a way. Oh, no, that's a different, that's a wrong franchise. Um, all right, maybe we'll go, we'll go to PT next. What's, what's your short take? I mean, uh, I liked it. Good scenes, good villain. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I was trying to remember the whole thing that Jim just read. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, I thought that it was, uh, it was, it was better to a little bit better than I thought it would be. Um, uh, my, I had, I think I, we said this last time, my bar had been recalibrated to just please be better than Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And I think it was, I think it, it like definitely was like, there's no question in my mind, uh, if we're, you know, slotting into the rankings, if that's a spoiler, um, it's going in between Temple of Doom and Crystal Skull for me pretty safely. Um, I think that there are some key sort of issues slash flaws, slash inherent drawbacks to this project. Uh, but, you know, it, it was fun. I had a good time at the cinema. Um, my, my, my kids loved it. Um, or, uh, or not. But uh, no, but I, and the other thing I'll say is, is I sort of like Jim, I would, because I saw it yesterday. So I was thinking, like, I saw it. I talked about it with the people I saw it with came home and then later that night I was like what if I can't remember anything about this movie when we get on the podcast but then today I woke up and I was like actually like I was thinking about more scenes I was thinking about more of it and thinking about more about how it like reflects connects to other parts of the franchise so I'm not promising that will happen for you Jim um but it did like it it, it sort of like felt like it just sort of washed over me and then went away like a you know, semi-forgettable movie. But it actually kind of, the tide came back and, and brought some stuff with it. Um, so I'll feel, we'll, we'll get to at least two hours and we'll make Jen take the break that she said she might have to take in two hours. <laughs> All right, Greg, how about you? Uh, I would say I'm probably a little more positive than uh, the two takes we've heard already so far. I, um, I, I would probably honestly slot it in in the same position, fourth in the list. But given how problematic Temple of Doom felt on my latest rewatch, I think this might challenge it a little bit. Um, so I, I and again, that could be recency bias, of course. But, um, you know, my bar, as I said uh, last episode, was it's got to be better than Crystal Skull. It wa I want to leave this franchise feeling good about this character. Um and I think I said I wanted some big swings and we can guarantee there are some big swings in this movie. And and I am not here to say they're all successful and they all work 100%. But I think um, it felt, it didn't feel safe, which some of these Lega sequels often can feel like, oh, it's a film by committee and we just want to check all these boxes. So um, I will say, because um, part of this is who should see this. Uh, and, you know, I was struck. Uh, I went opening night and then uh, I went the next uh, day with my son, uh, who's eight. And uh, he and I went to a noon screening on a Friday of Fourth of July weekend. So you would think it'd be very open. Uh, it was senior citizens and Henry and I. And I was like, oh, no, is this what Harrison Ford's demo has become? Is it's all the, the people? 
people who've been in love with him since the start of his career. And then me, uh, a middle-aged white dude dragging my eight-year-old to it as well. So, uh, uh, so uh, it seemed like everybody had a great time, but I uh, worry that, you know, as we start to think about how this character, how this movie will be characterized, it might end up feeling like a disappointment because it's going to be a small segment of the public that's that's interested. But do I regret going? Absolutely not. Do I think this one shouldn't have been made? No. Um, but is it going to ever reach the high heights? No. And I, and I don't think they expected it to either. I'm I'm more with you, Greg. I think in terms of my rankings. I would probably slot because my recent, the, the recent, like as of last week, rewatch it at Tenth Bolt of Doom was just so rough for me. <laughs> uh, and not even just because of the casual racism, but like of so many things that I'm just like, oh, I guess this movie isn't as I remember. And so I'm ready, I'm ready to slot, you know, time will tell, but I'm ready to slot this in, in uh, third place between uh, Raiders and uh, Temple of Doom. But with with crystal skull still last (laughs) and uh but i would say that i overall was pleasantly surprised by a lot of what i saw so the screenplay in particular i felt like was more doing something more than i thought it needed to or or what i expected it to in particular with these sort of like twilight years aging hero storyline of like you know he's kind of at this like pretty low place. He feels like his best days are behind him. The world has moved on without him. Like that kind of storyline I think was really well handled in terms. And so like when I'm comparing this to the crystal skull, I feel like that movie, even though it was, again, I said, we've been here before like that. They were like, this is the last one. He's coming back one more time. That one felt like he was, it was straining against his age. Whereas this one feels like it's embracing it. And, and in a way that I really liked, and, you know, we'll talk more in detail about, about things I, and, but there are a couple of key things in the, in the film that I, that bothered me and I'm still kind of processing and I feel like are weird. (laughs) So hopefully we can get into those because they, I can't say what they are because they're spoilers, but, um, but yeah, so I'm, yeah, I'm generally like pretty positive. A couple of things I'm like, eh, like, I don't feel like this is a home run by any stretch, but I was happy. Um, But yeah, so, so Greg already kind of, jumped on this a little bit, but we like to do the recommendation algorithm before we move on to spoiler mode. So for those who haven't seen the film, how do they know if they should go see this movie? <laughs> right. Who, which, which group of people are we recommending this movie to in particular, like what level of indie fan or what type, if there is a type of indie fan, like who, who should we be pushing to go see this movie? I kind of feel like any Indiana Jones fan should give it a try. Um, you know, if if you uh, again, if you were just sort of like, I hated Crystal Skull so much, I never wanted to you know go back. Maybe they should give it a try. If if your take on it is it was three movies and it should have ended at three movies, and I need to be like convinced that, that any additional stories should be told this isn't going to convince you that, that it was like worthwhile to do that. Um, But I think if you have any sort of like opening for Indiana Jones, like why not go and do it? The problem as Greg alluded is, I don't know if there's anybody who's not that person who like, it's not like, Oh, this will 
open up the world to a whole new generation of fans to sort of like, no, it's about an old man being old and, and going off on adventures, thinking about the adventures he had in the past. And, you know, I guess maybe if you're old and you never saw Indiana Jones movies and you're just an old person who wants to see something about what it's like to be old, your, your reality reflected on the screen, maybe. But I think put, putting aside the, you know, his age, though, just the narrative of like the archaeological film or the treasure hunter film, you know, which has seen like a marked drop off in interest over the last sort of 20 or 30 years. You know, you think about sort of you know, the Indiana Jones movies that were followed by the mummy films that were mm -hmm. very much Indiana Jones knockoffs. And then you got the National Treasure movies and then you got the Tomb Raider movies. And then recently you got the Uncharted movies. And I think if you were to put those on a you know, on a line graph, you'd see a, you know, direct plummet in interest. Like people just are not interested in those movies at all anymore. I think, which is, which is part of the, uh, the, the battle that this film is fighting to get people interested in at all. Right. That it, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm a, I am I think it's sad that that genre seems to have died off because I love that genre. It's a genre, I mean, it's a genre that goes back to like the 19th, 18th and 19th century, you know, um, which is where Indiana Jones has its roots, but it does seem like we we're just not interested in that movie. And I don't, I mean, there's maybe a bigger conversation here about why all, we're much more interested in movies about the future than the past these days. Mm. Um, but I think it's going to struggle. Like I, I called this a long time ago. Everyone was like, Indiana Jones is going to make this much hundred millions of dollars. And I was like, no, it's not. You know, I said they had, you know, people that were my age in my forties, you know, when, when these movies came out, will be there. But anyone younger that was not there in that moment, there's there's no interest there, and and um, I don't think this movie is going to be the one to reignite that interest. Um, although for people like me, it serves the purpose that it was created for. Can confirm that Jim has said that for months. Like he said that <laughs> many months ago. Like this movie will not be successful. I will just also note that that idea of you know this movie is of the past or looking to the past, but everyone's looking to the future is also text within the movie mm -hmm. um like that's sort of part of like themes that are at least being sort of tugged on if not fully embraced throughout the, yeah, the narrative which is maybe spoilery but yeah i would like to talk about like the reaction of his students to his class at the beginning of that movie i thought was very interesting that was in the trailer we could at least say that there was a, a board <laughs> class yeah uh, yeah hash, the enraptured the enraptured women of, of raiders of the lost ark it's not just because he's old now it's because they don't give a damn about what he's teaching I mean, maybe they never did. Maybe it's just hot. I don't know. So my only counterpoint I can think about this is like, do young people like Harrison Ford still? So is it is it like, you know, what I mean, that's the only thing because he's still very much in the pop culture consciousness. Not maybe. enough. Not enough to go to the movies. It depends what you mean by young people. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, well, I mean, people below the age that we just bracketed of like, if you were around for the original movies, you're here. You're going to be there. If you're in your 30s, maybe. I think if you're in your 20s, no. He's not a movie star to you. Com comparing it to Star Wars fans, I think Star Wars fans in their 20s love Rey and Kylo Ren. They don't dislike that those older characters are in the sequel trilogy, but it's not like they would rush out to see right. a Han Solo spinoff. I guess we know that, but even one starring Harrison Ford, and I don't think been confirmed. <laughs> would draw, would draw yeah. them in. Um, so, you know, and, and I, I mean, I, I think uh, it sounds like we're all just about the same age and it's like, that, there's something painful about that. Cause it does feel like in so many ways, this is a swan song to our generation being the target, right? I mean, the, 
the old Simpson joke of like, I'm a male age 18 to 40. Everybody cares what I think. And it's like, I think we're seeing that our generation is now crossing over into the, the more irrelevant. And there is a lot, there are a lot of ways in which this film is, is more aimed at kind of boomers uh, perhaps than, than us purely. And it sounds like we're kind of on the Gen X uh, uh, millennial line here. Um, So it's, I think it's completely true. I cannot imagine like my students rushed out this weekend. My college age students rushed out to see this movie. And uh, I think the box office is going to bear that out. But what's interesting is like those people aren't going to the movies. Those that age group, like they didn't see the flash. They didn't see Pixar. They didn't see little mermaid. So, but to jump in there, I mean, it's like, what's interesting as well is that the other bit of like 1989 nostalgia that's happening this summer Mm. was Michael Keaton in The Flash, right? Which was, you know, that that was what they were banking on. We're bringing back Batman. You know, people love Batman. And the truth is, is that people our age love Michael Keaton Batman, but they don't. So I, I think there is going to be like a reckoning that they're like, maybe we've milked the 80s now. You know, like maybe those people are not, maybe we need to milk the 90s now. Maybe we are going to get our uh, our national treasure <laughs> um, reboot or, or something. Is that the 90s? I don't There's, know. Well, it's already uh, happened. There's, a, there's Disney yeah. Plus series. <laughs> My mom yeah, loves that show. Hi, mom. Yeah. Uh, and I haven't watched it yet. She keeps recommending it to me. And the Brendan Fraser essence of him winning the Oscar was also partly people being like, like people 10-ish years younger than yeah. me, which is a few years younger, were just sort of like, well, the mummy is a formative experience. That's when I learned that both men and women could be attractive, blah, blah, blah. Which to yeah. me, I'm like, the mummy is just a bad Indiana Jones knockoff that I watched yeah. once and literally never thought about again until everyone started saying it was this fundamental movie in their lives if they yeah, are yeah. currently in their like early 30s or late 20s, maybe. Yeah. So you're right. I think... Get ready for some real Limp biscuit based nostalgia because it's coming down the road in not that long. Every Beastie Boys trailer will now be a Limp biscuit trailer. Got it. <laughs> they did it all for the nookie, Greg. <laughs> uh, okay, I think that's a sign that we should move on. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we're going to be heading into spoiler mode. So if you've not seen Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, and you do not want it spoiled for you. I'm going to count down from three. And then after that, you're on your own. It's on you. So three, two, one. We're now in spoiler mode, which doesn't feel any different for us. But <laughs> but shit for everyone else listening. I don't know. I feel uh, transformed. But what if we, end, yeah. we find a fissure of time that leads us back to before <laughs> spoiler mode? And then uh, we change. We're, all, we're always going to be here at this moment. This was our destiny. All right. So I want to start with things that we like because it sounds like all of us found something to enjoy we enjoyed this film on some level so was there a favorite i specified in our list of questions a favorite fan service or nostalgia moment but like we don't have to focus on that necessarily if you just have a favorite moment something you really loved well i would say that one of my that. favorite things was my, one of my favorite things was that they really didn't do the nostalgia moments like like no. really there was sala and then there was marion and for the most part that was it Yep. And both of those I would happily have cut to improve the movie. Um, uh, particularly poor Salah, who looked like the guy that was stuck on the spikes at the beginning of the first uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, you know, it, it's, I didn't want to see it. Um, but no, I admired the fact that unlike so many, particularly of the Star Wars movies recently, that's trying to cram in references and fan service every 10 seconds, this movie didn't. And it was, it was quite classy, I thought, to not mm. do that. It made me so happy that when he, when 
at one point when he was just like, I've got an old friend who's the best person for this job, that it was Antonio Banderas, a new character that we've never seen or heard of before, and not like some cameo from one of the earlier movies, which again, yeah, my Star Wars trained brain was just sort of like, it's going to be... Gonna be? I don't I know. Was assuming uh, it was going to be the pirate guy from Raiders that you know, like that, that says he's going to keep marrying. Oh sure. yeah, yeah. Okay. or or the yeah. pilot from uh, from the opening of Jacques, Jacques. Um, who you who know, played a him, very big part there. in Indiana but, Jones. Um, and yeah, I agree. I, I would just say I didn't think of this as fan service, like in you know, in that way, in that sort of uh, superficial way. Um, but I will admit that I did not know the degree to which I wanted to see a World War II era Indiana Jones in a gothic castle filled with Nazis, like a, like a castle Wolfenstein <laughs> uh, context, just fighting Nazis and escaping until I saw it on the screen. And I was like, yes, I actually have always wanted this. And I'm glad you're giving it to me, which I think is the right kind of fan service where instead of like, remember this thing from the old movie, it's here's a thing that you you know, maybe didn't know you wanted, but is a sort of, you know, touching, touching some of those pleasure buttons. Did that scene go on too long? We can discuss, but uh, I'm, I'm glad that we, we had that. Um, and, and the uncanny valley of the de-aging tech was uh, ignorable for almost all of it, which is good. Yeah. I was, I was reminded of magic eye uh, things. There's some nineties nostalgia for you. Uh, so where you kind of let your eyes unfocus and it's like, if you're looking at DH Harrison Ford and you kind of don't focus too much on the effect, I, I kind of put my head where it sounds like you were, which is like, this was the only way to see this, right? Like you can't recast from the middle of our continuity. Um, but you could do this weird de-aging thing. I don't know if they nailed the voice. I actually think the voice might have been the weakest part for me. Yeah. Uh, but um, did I love that section? Yes. Uh, calling George Clooney, this is what Monuments Men should have been, right? I mean, that's essentially <laughs> what Indy was, is a Monument Man. He and Basil uh, going and tracking down this. But, um, you know, I think the old staple of Indy in the James Bond mode, finishing one adventure before he starts another, this actually felt like the end of an Indiana Jones movie we'd never seen. Like he it's Indiana Jones and the, the Holy Lance or the staff of Longinus. And uh, it's like, Oh, I definitely would have watched that movie. And it felt like this really fun treasure that we got to do that. Um, and so, yeah, I, I mean, were those effects perfect? No, and I, I, I definitely think maybe um you know we could have shaved a little bit off it but um there was some really inventive stuff there the, the my favorite part of that opening sequence is the anti-aircraft gun getting stuck and just mowing down the back of the train i was like that is something new and different and totally works and is shot in a way that you understood what was going on and and was a lot of fun um so uh, I will say, so I don't know that it's a fan service or a nostalgia mode, but um, I'm just going to transition to like general strengths. I think Phoebe Waller-Bridge was awesome in this movie. And um, I think I, we had said last time, like maybe a short round spinoff. Now I'm in the maybe a short round or a Phoebe Waller-Bridge spinoff, except I don't want her living in 
IP hell for the next 10 years or something. So I'd rather see her original creations, but I thought uh, she was a fantastic addition. Uh, I think this demonstrated that it always should have been indie with a young female character. If that was a daughter or in this case, a goddaughter, I, I think that dynamic worked so much better. Um, and I, to me, I read her as what if Indy's last heir was Belloc, right? And how do you reconcile that? And how does he kind of, you know, overcome that? And to me, that totally worked in evoking, um, you know, probably not evoking the 1960s, but evoking the kind of old Hollywood movie that this seemed to be striving for. To go back to the, the de-aging, I'd say it mostly didn't bother me. And I thought the purpose of having that first act basically be, and I, I had the exact same thought, Greg, of like, oh, this is the final act of just another Indiana Jones movie uh, that we've never gotten. Um, it really, really felt that way. I'm like, wait, it's, this feels like the end, not the beginning of a movie. Um, but I feel like the 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 reason that we got that for the story that this is this movie, I think, is trying to tell is we needed the contrast of his glory days right to really when they cut to him passed out on the chair to really feel oh he's not that person anymore right um the only thing that bothered me i think was was his voice because he still he has the grit uh the graveliness that that old harrison ford has that young harrison ford does does not have in his voice and so i was fine when he wasn't speaking and then when he said said something that was longer than like a one word answer or something like that i i was like oh this is weird this is weird for me i don't understand the uh, this is something that that was more uncanny than the actual images because i think the te technologically well i think that whole first act does have the kind of like there's too much cg muddy dark problem overall like it's like compared to other indian jones movies act and big action set pieces i know it's at night but like it just it didn't have the brightness that i associate visually with with the old movies. Um, but, but beyond that, I thought the actual like de-aging technology was, was pretty good. Um, it's also at night because of all the CGI that is happening, okay, uh, which, it, which is a sort of standard. That, that was the, like the, uh, the issue, uh, which again, this is, I think this is minor overall. Like I enjoyed the whole sequence, but there was like a moment where I was like, is every, is modern blockbuster filmmaking all kind of looking like Sin City now, except that Sin City was trying to look artificial, but now they're trying to make it look real, but it's just, everything's gloomy in the background. And there's one sort of popping thing in the middle that is almost real, but kind of fake too. Um, and that did happen. And he's, when he's riding the motorcycle, it sort of felt that way. Um, but, you know, there's kind of no way around that, that, you know, especially with, um, you know, this, with the de-aging technology being involved, the more, the more light you put on it, you know, the more it's going to have a, have an issue. But didn't you feel that that, see, and this is maybe jumping ahead, but <clears throat> didn't you feel that that kind of like brownness was there the whole way through the film? Like with the exception of the parade scene, one of my issues with the film was that it just the whole thing looked like the inside of a boot. You know what I mean? It was just <laughs> it was just brown and kind of dirty the whole way through. And you know, watching it like two days after I rewatched Crystal Skull, which looks like an episode of Teletubbies. You know what I mean? It's just like it's so bright and colorful. <laughs> it, it's really jarring to have the two of them side by side. And I, I'm not saying one, you know, it would like a happy medium would would, would be nice mm -hmm. there. I think it was that even the even the parade scene had that sepia tint mm -hmm. on the whole thing, and and I just felt the whole it just it didn't it it looked drab to me. 
the whole film looked drab. And so there's lots of things I liked about the performances and the stories. And I agree with you that Phoebe Waller-Bridge was to me the, the MVP of this movie, but I thought the, the cinematography of the whole thing was just bleh. I thought the, yeah, the, the biggest problem with the movie is that James Mangold is not Steven Spielberg in the 1980s, um, yeah. which, uh, you know, is in a way tough to blame him because it's like, sorry that you're not like the best that ever did it. Uh, and yeah, as, as uh, you just alluded to, Jim, Steven Spielberg in 2008 was not Steven Spielberg in the 80s. And so, uh, you know, even there, there's, you know, the like, not all the action scenes are as perfectly choreographed and, and, uh, you know, filmed with with such visual panache as the originals did, but there was still moments of you know Spielberg uh, excellence with just sort of framing shots, moving the camera, showing how the action was unfolding. That I don't recall any real moments like that. There were some, the you know, the parade did have color, and when they get to the the cave, we're in full spoilers now, right? So the cave that's Archimedes' tomb was the ear of. Uh, Dionysius. I was like, this looks like an Indiana Jones movie. Like, there's like a couple of shafts of light. Um, they've got the vines in the right place. Like, this looks great. And the bugs um, on but, the wall. Yeah, but everything else before that was just sort of yeah. like, you know, it, it it all it 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 rarely looked fake, which is good because sometimes Crystal Skull looks like very like CGI and fake. Um, but it did. I think drab's kind of a good word for it, and a little a little monotone, which maybe is was you know maybe that was an intentional choice to reflect the state of the character um but maybe a bad choice if you want to have a visually engaging movie if you're going to want to ask us to spend two and a half hours uh with it which is a long time for uh, uh what's supposed to be a high-paced adventure movie mm-hmm. i want to go back to phoebe waller bridge because i do think that she is really a, a game changer or deal breaker in terms of whether or not this film is like you know, good, I had a good time, my kids liked it, adventure, right? Versus, like, everyone's mad at this movie, right? Because um, I think largely with Crystal Skull, people who are up in arms about that movie, most of them point to Mutt as, like, what is he doing in this movie? This doesn't work, right? And so I think that Phoebe Waller-Bridge really had, there was a lot riding on her character. And I, I would agree with Greg that I would 100% watch, a, if they came out with a Helena Shaw Disney Plus series or a Helena Shaw movie at some point down the line, like I would, I would want to watch it. Uh, I thought she was, she was so funny, so witty, stole so many scenes, and was like a really convincing, like she was her own character, but she was a really convincing successor to Indy, where like they drew enough parallels between the two of them. It was like an alternate universe version of him that's more, more self-serving and more capitalist, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Whereas he's like, and, and interesting because like if you think about temp, the Indian Temple of Doom, right? Because that's the prequel one. It's it's the most fortune and glory in, version of Indiana Jones, and I feel like she really tapped into that energy of like, I have all the skills that Indy has. I have all the the smarts. I'm resourceful. Like you know, there's that whole list of accolades that she that she spouts off, right? Um, or or superlatives, I should say. But she's different enough. She's her own character because she's gone a different direction like she's like she's the more self like selfish kind of like not in it for the the noble reasons that and then that kind of contrasts where indy has ended up at the age that he's at in this movie right where like he's gone from fortune and glory to not just this belongs in a museum museum. 
but like yeah. let's save the world right i only care about like <laughs> uh you know saving the world from nazis again um as opposed to any of the concerns like he never for a second is sort of like lusting after the 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 treasure in a way that maybe temple of doing it indeed would have so i really yeah i really love the dynamic between the two of them my favorite moment actually to go back to my original question probably was when he says and it's this is only half of the line that's in the trailer he says why would you go chasing after something that drove your father crazy and she says, isn't that what you would like something along the lines of like, wouldn't, wouldn't you, or like, is, and the implication there to me, like, I, I that was a really big Eureka moment. Cause I was like, Oh, like last crusade, <laughs> like they <laughs> they managed to, to evoke that whole movie in one tiny line, uh, which I really, really appreciate. And I was like, Oh wow. That's such a clever construction of their relationship. Right. That like, she's like him, but very much not like him. And it really, the dynamic between the two of them really worked for me. Well, and just to Jim's earlier point, that line could have been, isn't that what you did when you went after the Holy Grail? But mm-hmm. they trust the audience and say, no, we we know you're bringing that baggage, so we'll just imply it and give you that eureka moment, which is very funny. You said a eureka moment, by the way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but I, I do think that that is indicative of kind of the tone they set of like, let's trust the audience and, you know, not treat them as the stupidest people, which again, I recently revisited too many of the fast and furious movies. And those movies treat you like you are the stupidest person on the planet <laughs> all, all the time. They just insult you for showing up. So I, I like when a blockbuster trusts itself and is a little more clever than that. Um, certainly. Yeah. There were a lot of moments of restraint. I can't think of, there's one towards the end. I think it's in the scene where she's like yelling at him. Like you can't stay here. And there's some there's some moment where I was like, oh, there's like just a pause. And I was like, oh, that in any other movie, that probably would have been a very heavy handed monologue. Mm-hmm. Of like yeah. The reason you can't stay here is. Yeah. Right. Here's the thesis of the movie. Um, the, the thing I'll say about Phoebe Waller-Bridge's character, and I, I agree with the, the room that I think she was the MVP asterisk except for Harrison Ford who is the the MVP because but that was expected um but I think he did a great job uh coming back and you can tell how invested he is uh I think um in in the character and in doing this one last time etc but the Phoebe Waller-Bridge thing is I assumed she was going to have the pretty thankless sidekick role where it would be like I'm bringing you out for one last time like I'm here to help you Indy um, and I'll help you a few times and then I'm going to get captured and you're going to have to save me um, and instead she has this all this nuance that you guys were talking about where it's like she's kind of the bad guy she's a little bit of an antagonist um, she's like you know that shadow self I also sort of had to like oh yeah this is she's got Belloc vibes um, about her and you know but like you know, has the history with Indy that, you know, the, what Indy does can kind of win her back over. Um, and yeah, I, I didn't expect it going in, but I would, I would go and see Helena Shaw and the key of uh, gold or whatever. I don't know. Some, some treasure, um, some treasure hunting movie, uh, I think, uh, I think would be fun. What, what do you think they would have to do to build a movie around that character? You know what I mean? Because I feel like that's the hardest thing because they I've heard multiple critics and, or podcasters sort of say they can't just slap the Indiana Jones name on a on a movie with her. Like that that's what what works is that she's not replacing him. Right. She's her own character. So like what would they have to do to kind of make that transition? First, like, I think they it, need 
I think they first need about four hundred million dollars more uh, worth of tickets to be sold for this movie, um, <laughs> and then they'll start thinking about actually investing in that. Um, I mean, m- my guess would be they would just call it, you know, I don't know the uh, the catacombs of death, and you know, not have a person's name in the title, and then mm. you know, try to tap into like, and it's an adventure movie, but like Jim was saying earlier, those are not really resonating with people but uh, I, think, I honestly think way. that even if this movie was to make a billion dollars i would like to see it i think it should stop like i, I just i it, it like she's a great character and i think she could be a great character in this movie i was just going to say that it's like i think that you can milk something too much mm-hmm. no it's what do you mean so like they should just end yeah so that would be a yeah. bad idea in general maybe i mean i don't know like i would probably i would love to write the like flea bag cuz cuz what i also loved about her was that there's just a little dash of flea bag mm-hmm. right when when like when she's kind of eyeing different different you know background characters and kind of making like you know she's got she has almost she almost turns to the camera in a very flea bag style to be like hey um but i feel like i would totally write a a series that's like flea bag meets indiana jones with her in it this movie convinced me that I would want that. Um, of just her, like every episode she's doing on a different crazy adventure. But you're right. Like in terms of franchising, like this is probably, it's, it's probably too hard for them to like, and they won't do it because of the demand and all the other stuff we were talking about earlier. Uh, so actually now that we're talking about the endings of a franchise potentially, or just like, you know, I want to go to the question of like, do you feel like if this is the last Indiana Jones movie we ever get, are we okay with it? My honest opinion, if the internet doesn't cut out, is that it shouldn't have been made. That's my honest opinion, is that we had the fitting ending for the Indiana Jones series, and it was the end of The Last Crusade. Is this better than ending with the Crystal Skull? I don't know, because I've always just pretended the Crystal Skull never happened, and that's worked for me. You know, like, I, I it really did feel... To me, I liked it, but it did feel deeply unnecessary. And the whole way through it, I was watching it. I was feeling like they only made this movie because they could make more money out of this franchise. Mm. That was my feeling. I know it's very negative, but I, I the fitting send-off was the final scene of The Last Crusade. See, I feel like they made this movie because Harrison Ford was like, I'm not going out like that. Like, we need to make one more <laughs> to make this right. That's the impression. Just all the interviews he's given or all the like press stuff. It, that's, it feels like he was the driving force behind this movie, that he was like, I don't want Crystal Skull to be the legacy of this character, like the way that we end it. Like, I, we need to go back. That might be, I don't know, I don't have any, like, fact-checking or evidence to support if that actually is true, but that's just the impression, that's sort of the impression I got. To me, I would say that this movie justified his existence, because I do feel like it's a, to me, it's a more satisfying ending for Harrison Ford playing this character than Crystal Skull was. So, like, I would I I'm okay with it. I feel like it it's it was worth it even even if it's like I don't want to entertain the like it's too late to say like why we why didn't we just end after last crusade? Like the we're past that. So now I feel like I'm happier with this than Crystal Skull being the last movie. Yeah, I think that's that's right with uh, you know, I I I'm sort of with Jim in, you know, sort of like I'd like to file a motion to sever where uh if we want to if we want to think about uh, uh, and you know, I mean, Indiana Jones is a Lucasfilm pr- uh, uh, product, 
so it's easy to make the comparisons to Star Wars, but you know, there's the layers of canon that uh, used to exist, and I think to some degree still do, where it's like the films are in the middle, and then it's the TV shows, blah blah blah. That I think you know, there's the three original movies of Indiana Jones are the are that trilogy, and they exist. And if you like Indiana Jones, you're gonna want, like those three movies. And if that's all you want, that's fine. Like you don't have to, you know, go beyond that. And I think these other two movies are in with like the TV show and the games and the books where it's sort of like, it's kind of like if you want extra stuff, you can go and and see this, but they don't feel to me like they rise to the level of like central canon as those first three do. Um, You know, I, because I do think this one is definitely better than Crystal Skull, I'm glad it was made for the reason Jen was saying that we, you didn't go out like that, um, that we had something here and, you know, they were, uh, uh, they kept it going. There's also just something about now that there are two movies that they made, like it, it doesn't feel as bad that like, it's like two movies that are not up to the level of the earlier ones somehow don't feel as bad as one. Like the fact that it was like, we made three Indiana Jones movies and people really liked them. And then we waited a really long time and we made one more and it sucked Um, or one more. And it was, you know, deeply flawed if you want to phrase it that way. Um, And now it's a sort of like, well, we made two movies and they all, they, you know, maybe there's issues with either of them, but it, it, it somehow feels more like dissipated. Like, yeah, they, it's it's a longer it's a longer franchise it's a longer line you can contain your love to just the one decade where it was like this prominent thing and you can sample these other ones if you want but yeah i'm i'm glad it didn't end with just like one nub like somehow two nubs feels uh a little more cohesive for some reason it's better better to fade away than to burn out exactly <laughs> yeah uh, i don't know i'm an easy mark but i cried during this, the final scene with Marion in this movie where where they're reversing the roles of like where did where doesn't it hurt and she's pointing and like I don't know why but that really got to me where because it, it immediately transported me back to Raiders but then it also felt like a really good full circle moment and it wasn't complicated right and it seemed the, the performances were very sincere um, so yeah I feel like for me that to me is like a very satisfying in terms of emotionally very satisfying endpoint um can we talk about the ending for a minute then? yeah because mm-hmm. because we obviously had very different experiences with the ending um i'm, I'm not to be the eternal cynic but that's he what we're here <laughs> let's, let's just figure out how we get you know that that final moment so they're 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 in the the battle and he wants to stay and he doesn't have a realization that he doesn't want to stay she punches him right you know, which I, which I, was great. I have no problem with that. It, it goes against the usual thing. So, she, so he doesn't learn anything. She punches him. He wakes up. Two seconds later, Marion's in the door, and they're having this moment. To me, I don't think it worked. Like I don't think it was earned. I don't. I don't know what he realized. I don't know how he went from I want to live in you know like first century Greece forever to to I want to reconnect with Marion. I, I didn't see it. And so when they did that, you know, oh, it doesn't hurt here a bit. All I saw was two screenwriters sitting in a room going, that's clever. I, I didn't I didn't have an emotional moment with it at all because it felt very forced to me. And it was actually one of the moments in the film that I didn't love. 
Um, I actually was quite liking the idea of like uh, maybe another movie that's just Indiana Jones hanging out in first century Greece. Like that to me, that sounded <laughs> much better than, than, than what we got. <laughs> Indiana I, Jones and the Festival of Dionysus. Sorry, <laughs> no, it's okay. Always pause for the bit. Uh, yeah, I. It is a re- the critical response seems to focus a lot on that that moment. I know Jen and I both read uh, Dave Chen, who took this movie quite to task, centered around the punch more so than than your comments just now, Jim. Um, and it is really curious. Uh, David Chen actually called this like the most monumental decision of Indy's life. And I was like, well, slow down. Like, let's calm that down uh, a little bit. But it is interesting that they took away their agency. Now, my first read on that was this is where we are with the boomers, right? That they are going to stay living in the past and pulling us all back to the past unless we just knock them out and uh, force them into the modern day. Um, and I think that's a pretty cynical read on that as well in a totally different way. But um, it's how that moment kind of played for me. But on um, the second watch, I thought more about pairing the very end with um, probably my favorite scene of Harrison's acting in the film, which is on the boat when, when Helena asks Indiana, like, what would you do? And he says he would go back and convince Mutt not to join. And the way he says, you know, um, he, I would tell him he would die and that his, the grief would consume his mother and that I would be unable to comfort her. And I think that to me showed, uh, that he really retreated from the task, right? Like um, all of these movies, I think when they work, it's because Indiana Jones learned something personal in pursuit of whatever object. That's kind of the basic formula, right? And so he wasn't able to apply anything to that moment. He failed Marion. And so to me, that changes a little bit when you get to the end and she says, somebody told me you're back. And to me, that just means like you're back. Now, I'm I'm not at all discounting what you just said. We don't necessarily see him have an epiphany that means he chose to be back or he is back in. But, you know, I think the way what they were going for is that when she walks in, he realizes, oh, I did have something to come back for. She still cares. The best part to me is the little gag where he reaches and removes the magnet off her face. It's like, oh no, honey, like I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't uh, cover you up. I still uh, mean that, um, you know. And and then absolutely the most fan service moment to me is recreating the the kiss uh, scene. Um, I could lie and say I didn't cry, but I definitely cried. Uh, it, it worked. And it's, I, I'm fully admitting it's just blatant fan service. Definitely two screenwriters who were like, yes, we nailed it. But uh, for whatever reason, it, it clicked for me. So that's that's a mild defense, I would say. But but I, I did have a slightly different connection to it the second viewing. Yeah, I, I'm sorry, Jim. It's it's three to one. Uh, got emotional at the at the recreation scene. Yes. Uh, but the two two things I like about it is um, it, it establishes canon in the final uh, minute of this movie. One that that's just their foreplay and has been every time they've been together. Um, they just always do that. And two, uh, Indy gets down to business with his hat on, like he needs the hat, um, or else or else he can't do it. Um, I think maybe the reason it didn't work for me as well is that, again, I just watched Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and by far the worst thing in the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is Marion, right? It's, it's not just in her depiction, but also her performance, which is that, you know, like, Karen Allen is dreadful 
in the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And so for her to show up in this one and actually be quite good, I mean, I think I think in those moments, uh, you go, oh, so what happened there? Like, my, my yeah. thought was that somehow in the 30 years between those movies, she had just forgotten how to act, but apparently not. It was something else going on, you know, that made Crystal Skull so bad. Um, but, you know, when she walked back in, I was like, I had already felt that relationship not work in Crystal Skull. So I think if Crystal Skull's kind of like, as we like to do, we like to pretend it never existed. And you just go straight from Raiders to Dial of Destiny. I think maybe I would have had that emotional connection too. But all I was thinking was that Marion with the like grin on her face for no reason as they're driving <laughs> around the jungle in, in Crystal Skull. I, well, I think and- part of the challenge of this is, and, well, and then you can go, Greg. Um, no, no problem. Is, and David Chen, I think this is why he had such a strong reaction to, to the to this aspect of it is that, and why you're saying it kind of that moment at the end with Marion feels unearned is that they're trying to tell a whole other story off screen, right? I think, and and it's like for me, it worked because the little bits of exposition, the scene that Greg alluded to on the boat. Right, filled to me filled filled in enough gaps where I was like, oh, like there's there's this thing that's kind of going on in the background that we are learning about what happened in the interim between Crystal Skull and between this movie. That to me it was enough, but I can definitely see that like if you know if that's if those little crumbs are not enough, like that 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 moment doesn't land the same way. Greg, what were you gonna say? I was I was just gonna say the other problematic piece of it is now you look at the long arc of these two characters' lives. So they were together when she was probably a minor, problematic, broke up, got back together in Raiders, broke up by Last Crusade, got uh almost got married, I guess, before Last Crusade, but broke up, but had a kid. So then got back together and got married in Crystal Skull and then broke up and then got back together at the end of Dial of Destiny. It's like, yeah, if you're thinking like this is them forever, I don't I don't think evidence is on your side. And so so it just became, you know, a rehash of a rehash in, in that way. So, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, it's hard to to really put too much stock in in that. But, you know, I mean, I can't lie and say that's not some couples in my life. Like I know couples like that. So it, it feels like. Like, you know, it happens and maybe that's just the life of an adventurer. To go back to the idea of he doesn't choose or kind of come to any sort of revelation at the end, but that he he's dragged back against his will. Because David Chen's big thing is like that robs him of his agency and that's bad. But I, yeah, I'm more with Greg where like, I feel like Indy has always been a very stubborn character. And that, so that made me, that made it believable for me that he would need someone like Helena to be like, no, like you're being dumb. Like, let's just, (laughs) don't be ridiculous. You're coming back with me. Right. Uh, But then also, if we think of the broader theme of the film of like, Indy throughout most of the film acts like his life is behind him. Right. Like that everything, everything's over. It's life is over. He's retiring. Right. Um, every even Archie, like his classrooms used to be full of students hanging on his every word. Now he can't get anyone to pay attention to him with his like old school um, projector, <laughs> right? With his like uh, overheads, like the, <laughs> the little like translucent. <laughs> Those are great. Um, but so so in that moment when she punches him, I feel like it's it's a 
And again, we don't see him like he doesn't come out and say like, oh, I'm so glad you made me come back because now I see that I have something to live for. Right. Like it's not over the over the top like that or heavy handed like that. But it does feel like he had like it's the messaging I feel like is when you get old, your life is not over. (laughs) Right. That like that there you can start again and like do something new and it might not be as exciting as as when you were in your prime but that that that's not reason enough to sort of give up on everything uh, and just boy did jen just turn 40 or what Jeez. yes <laughs> this is my existential crisis <laughs> right i actually think there's a more the way see, i think there's a much more charitable way of reading indy's desire to stay in in uh in greece which is that I didn't read it as Indy's given up on his life and just wants to live in the past. I looked at it as Indy, the archaeologist, just stumbling across the greatest thing he's ever found, right? Which, you know, so, so that his desire to stay there is no different from like, you know, was, was it Elsa's desire to hang on to the grail cup or whatever, that it was like, you know, he's made this great find. Now he needs to explore it and see it because his whole life's been building up to it. And, you know, he needed to be pulled away just like at the end when, you know, Henry, uh, when Sean Connery, you know, looks at him and says, no, leave the, leave the grave behind. I actually, I I took it as a similar Mm -hmm. kind of moment. Um, Like, I, I think because of his age, we naturally read it as he's given up on life and wants to live in his head of, but I think that kind of devalues one of the things that I always loved about Indiana Jones, which was that like, he's a, he's a historian, he's an archeologist. He's genuinely interested and loves this, this study and this exploration, this search and this knowledge and, and that being stuck in the past is such a fucking Gen Z way of looking at it. Do you know what I mean? Because it's like, no, we should know our past and we should understand our past. And mm-hmm. it's full of knowledge and beauty and joy and it makes our present life so much richer and deeper. And so to suggest that it was like, why would you want to stay in Greece with a bunch of weirdos? It's like, no, it's beautiful. Of course mm-hmm. he does. You know, um, but at the same time, it's it's not choosing retreat from life versus life. It's choosing like, your scholarly obsession over life mm-hmm. and to me like that's a much more manageable thing and so when she punched him that's kind of what i saw as much as anything else you know i didn't see it as like it's just him giving up i saw it as him chasing the thing he's always chased and her saying no 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 no, no. you have to live and, and and that's why it didn't bother me so much the transition to then and now i will love marion bothered me mm-hmm. but the transition away from greece didn't well, I mean, I would say he always loved Mary and Jim. He just didn't know how to show it. Uh, but uh, but the, what you're saying is tying into sort of one of the things that I was kicking around today when I said sort of I was thinking back on it the day after this was one of the sort of threads I was pulling, which is I started thinking how it's weird that the MacGuffin in this movie isn't religious. Like there's something religious about like all the other ones. Uh, and that got me sort of further along the road to, you know, Indiana Jones has seen proof of accuracy and power in Judaism, um, uh, voodoo or you know, whatever. The sh- I, I, I apologize for not knowing what the actual Shankara stone 
religion is supposed to be. Uh, he calls it voodoo. Uh, and uh, Judaism, I mean, Christianity. Um, and then ancient aliens, whatever, we, the worship of ancient aliens, if we want to call Your it Your religion, ancient aliens. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Um, but uh, but yeah, so it's like, oh, but this isn't, but you know, so in a way, I feel like they're setting it up in this movie that the religion of the of Archimedes is science. And that like it's it's a just as much of a belief system. And at one point in the sort of middle flashback to when Toby Jones's character, um, Helena Shaw's dad, is uh, uh, is sort of losing his mind um, over looking researching the dial, um, he goes, "Well, I, I can't prove this, but." And Indy goes, "You know, the proof is what makes it science." And so like this is you know the the, the archaeology of it, the 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 study, the scientific approach is like the thing that he really believes in. So he didn't become, you know, Christian because he, you know, touched the Holy Grail. Like he's still a scientist and he's still a, uh, you know, an academic and a scholar. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's similar to in every other movie, um, you know, somebody is killed because they are so committed to the thing that they are, uh, that they're they're dedicated to their their religion. You know, uh, you know, Belloc and the Nazis melt or blow up. Um, uh, Molaram uh, needs to keep save the stones. He burns his hands. He falls to his death. Uh, Elsa dies. Donovan dies. Um, Kate Blanchett uh, explodes because she learns too much. Um, and uh, and so he's going to be that person. He's going to stay in Greece because he's like this is science. This is history. This is archaeology. Like I will talk to Archimedes about. About math and 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 science, and and I will you know see the things that I studied in archaeology. I will be able to do this. You know, it, it is just like Elsa. It is, um, uh, you know, it is just like Belloc being like, "This is my radio to God. I'm going to be able to do this." His God is learning this stuff in person, and he, you know, instead of Indy being the one that saves, like that stops it from happening or tries to, it's it's Helena who's able to save him. Um, and so again, like. Maybe that's giving it too much credit or reading too much into it. Um, but, you know, when I was pulling the threads, that was sort of the thought that I had and that it didn't seem like, you know, so much of a jump that when he woke up, he w- it was just sort of like, yeah, you know, he wouldn't be like mad. Like, how, how come you didn't let me do this? But it's just sort of like, yeah, that would have been a, that probably would have been a bad idea. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I guess the transition to Marion just didn't seem weird to me because it's just sort of like sometimes there's just stubborn old men and they're just like, I won't pick up the phone and make that one call to be like, I'm sorry. I wasn't actually doing what I was supposed to do in this relationship. You know, some men will let uh, their on again, off again, long time uh, love of their lives disappear instead of going to therapy. Uh, And that's, uh, you know, and that's sort of where Indiana Jones was. Well, I just wanted to sprinkle in the quote that Indy himself says, which is, I've come to find it's not so much what you believe, but how hard you believe it. And so I think that supports what you just said, PT, that his belief is in archaeology and he believed in it not quite hard enough where he wanted to stay and be a part of it. But but I think you you all are right to kind of liken that to a religious. And maybe I'll use that as the opportunity to switch over because we haven't mentioned Mads Mikkelsen yet. And um, where I think he's successful is that he is in that indie mode. He is somebody who believes so hard in science. His kind of refrain is that math will make this work. The, you know, the math of uh, 
math never lies that we can he figured out a way to predict these time fishes it's going to work he's a physicist he believes in it and and that's why i i mean i have some major quibbles with time travel and whatever rules we're dealing with here but i love the idea that he did all the calculations but he forgot how to correct for continental drift so he ends up knowing the truth which is the math doesn't lie he just created a flaw in his own math and that's what ruined his plans and sent them back into the battle of syracuse so um i think he was very successful as an indie villain maybe a little underdrawn maybe a little kind of mustache twirly but um you know i will always take mads mickelson as vague european who is menacing I, I will say it's interesting the sort of the continental drift thing because I did like that as the correction, especially as Mad's character Voler, I think, like slowly realizes like, oh my god, he's right. Um, but then when they're in Greece, they're just sort of like, oh, actually, the dial was always going to come here. That's like there was point. never any way it could have been used in 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 any other like to get to any other destination. And I didn't know if that meant that like. Oh, actually, secretly, it was only going to lead you to one fissure, or if it's just the idea of it's all a closed loop, like this has always happened, you know, they've, they've always traveled back in time. So, you know, there's no way it could have been anything else because you can't actually change history. History's already happened, even if time travel is involved. I mean, I think that is it is one of those real examples of the thing the internet likes to call a plot hole. Like, I, I think it actually genuinely doesn't work because it either means that he did account for continental drift, even though he couldn't possibly have known about it, and he put the portal in the right place that took them back to Greece. It, the more you think about it, it just doesn't work at all. Um, it doesn't matter. I didn't notice it at the time, um, which, which is all that matters. But um, I think it actually is a plot hole, which is all right. We're allowed those. Similar yeah, to, just, sorry, Jen, go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, this is some some timey wimey non- nonsense for sure. And this, the, I just had to kind of after, at a certain point be like, it's fine. This is not Back to the Future. Like we don't need to have this all ironed out, right? Because it's also like, like Helena is also like, you can't stay here. Like you're going to have a butterfly effect, and then like, but then that doesn't really like it's not cons- that that idea is not consistent with basically anything else they talk about in terms of time and space in the movie. Um, but yeah, the, the, this was the, this was the stumbling point that I hit when I realized where the plane was when the clouds parted, I was like, Oh, Oh, we're doing this. And I really didn't know how to feel about it. And in particular, meeting Archimedes to me felt it took me out of it. it it took me out of the world of indiana jones in a way because to me we've taught you know we've a lot of you have talked very eloquently about how indy is first and foremost an archaeologist he's a scholar that's what one of the things we love about the character to me an indiana jones movie the borders of that world are at looking at the past with art with with relics from the past that we have in the present and so the idea of shifting the present to the past as we do in this to me felt so much more like doctor who which i love uh than indiana jones i just didn't i just i was like i don't think i want doctor who in my indie soup like the same. I want Doctor Who everywhere all the time. I know. So I, I was absolutely happy with it. I was just actually like, there, there's, there's this, there's an episode of Doctor Who in which they, um, uh, they take Vincent Van Gogh from the past and they drag him oh, forward yeah. to the Van Gogh Museum in the future. 
it's a Richard Curtis episode, and it's so you know, so it just makes everybody cry constantly. Um, and and it gave me the same kind of feeling to have Indiana Jones, who has spent his entire life mm. studying archaeology, actually get to go to the past and see the battle. I had a little bit of that Vincent and the Doctor moment there, you know. So to me, as a finale, as if we're talking about like how it wraps up the series. To have the archaeologist actually go to the past, that's kind of a joyous conclusion. That did work for me a lot more than the Marion scene worked for me. I guess, I, I suppose I'm much more invested in Indiana Jones's career than his love life, I suppose. But, um. <laughs> I mean, I would have even been more okay with if he had gone back to the Siege of Syracuse, but we didn't actually see. There was something about seeing casting Archimedes with, in a, with a real human that freaked me out. I don't know why. Tell me you never watched the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles without telling me you never watched the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Because there was always that, like, which I never liked about that show. It was always like, and here I am with Pancho Villa, and here I am with uh, this other famous person. And I just ran into, and it's like, wow, I guess the Forrest Gump of his day was just Indiana Jones going out and meeting everyone famous. Um, like so it's sort of the, uh, the astronauts of the moon landing, something like that. Yeah, the, the other way, yeah, yeah. Well, or at least you know he can make eye contact with them. He doesn't have to talk. Yeah. To them. <laughs> um, but it did sort of feel like, like uh, you know, uh, hearkening back to that, um, you know, for for good or for ill. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know where everyone else's head was when they were on the plane, and it was clear it was like it's not going where you think it's going to go. I was like, they're going to go back to one of the earlier movies. Like, we're going to end up in Temple of Doom. Like, you know, they're going to they're gonna fold in. They're going to fold back to the future, too, and fold in on itself. And then there was a little window where in my head I was like, he's going to fight a dinosaur. Like, that's what's going to happen right now. And so when it parted and it was the Roman ships, I was like, of course. Oh, that makes sense. Yes. And, um, you know, I remembered that the the not short round kid was uh, watching a little puppet show Teddy. at one point. Teddy. Uh, yeah, I will put some respect to the thing. He was he was fine. Um, that they was watching a puppet show, which was showing that battle and dragons were were showing up. So it was like right, like they've been laying the slow, they've been laying some groundwork for the fact that there, you know, the Battle of Syracuse had this fantastical at the you know element to it. Um, and I just liked, I mean, to Greg's point, way you know last last podcast and at the beginning of the episode of just sort of like take some swings it's just sort of like yeah they time travel that's great um and i liked there was the rumors there'd be time travel and i'm glad the stuff in the castle with dh indiana jones wasn't the time travel um that was just a prologue like river phoenix in the last crusade like we'll go in the past for a little bit in the beginning and then jump forward and the time travel instead was this crazy other thing um so yeah i'm I, I was in on that. I understand that there's probably people who hate it, but like, I also didn't mind that it was aliens in Crystal Skull. Like, that wasn't the problem with that movie. Wasn't that it was aliens? So yeah, give me weirdness in my Indiana Jones stories. Yeah, I thought last episode. I mean, we recorded late at night, but you said you wanted Indiana Jones to do the Groucho Mark mirror, not a mirror scene with himself in time yes. travel mode. Yeah. yeah. Did, is that, did that not happen? I thought. <laughs> um, no, I, 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 it's really, it's a hard sequence. I, I definitely am overall positive on the time travel sequence and, and um, kind of in line with what Jim said, when Indy looks off and sees, I don't know, some kind of Acropolis out on the point and is just struck by the awe of it. It immediately brought to mind, um, 
Henry Sr. seeing the Grail Knight, right? And just kind of giving a wave and like, yeah. And, and that that is kind of a, a magic feeling. Um, to, to Jen's point, I, I do think part of the problem is Archimedes looked like when your high school math teacher is like, I know, I'll come in costume today and teach them about this concept. Um, like, hello, I'm Or when Bill and Ted find Archimedes. Oh. At... <laughs> yes, yes. Good. At the Piggly Wiggly. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I think you're right that when you get down to that level, that's the level that's always going to be hard. And, um, you know, it, 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 I actually hadn't thought about Doctor Who either, specifically Vincent uh, and the Doctor or a- any other episode, but it does have that a little bit of that feeling. Um, and then I, I do think then where my nerd brain overthinks it is, is they seem to be using lost time travel rules, but then are acting like they're using back to the future time travel rules. And I think you can hand wave that and say like the characters in the moment can't figure out exactly what, but it's like, they, they all noticed the watch. They were very clear on the propellers on the bird and the watch. Like they have to understand that whatever, I mean, this is the lost rule, right? Whatever happened, happened. And so it seems to me that then again, contemplating those final moments, it's like, well, if Indy had stayed, then he would have always stayed and it wouldn't have been a problem. So the only other thing I want to add to that piece of the conversation is Mangold in an interview I listened today said he had a version where they did get back to 1939 and then Indy chased down Voler to stop the plot. And I was like, you really thought the third act of the final Indiana Jones movie should have been Indiana Jones saving Hitler? Like, I like that is unbelievable that you got anywhere down that road. I, I do not understand. Give that man a Star Wars movie. <laughs> oh. oh. And also, like, the fact that he's sharing that in an interview means that nobody... Nobody put a hand on his shoulder being like, think about what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that isn't, no one caught that. That was just, they decided to change, for, to pivot from it for other reasons. Um, yeah, that's crazy. Uh, yeah. I don't, know. <laughs> I, don't um, I don't know what to do with that. Uh, I think, yeah, I think that at, at the time travel, so, okay, actually, I do have just a legitimate question that I was confused about. So when, and this might be really really silly once you explain the Get answer. Get the Doc but, Brown chalkboard ready. To make right, right, right. So like, <laughs> so, so the watch that Voller's wearing or that is the same as the one with Archimedes' body in the tomb, right? Because Archimedes takes it off Voller's body when he finds the body next to the right, plane. But then he gives it back, right? He's Doesn't he give cause, it cause, out with the dial, but I think they just take the dial. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I think he's not wrong that in they're the in that shot. Together. I thought there was like a little pile where he was like, "Here, yeah. take this," because because Helena says he can't take that one; he has to build his own, meaning the dial. Mm-hmm. And so I assumed he was like, oh, "Okay, just kidding." Like, take all this other, take all this fancy future stuff back. And I assumed the watch went with it, but you think that he he pocketed the watch <laughs> and gave back well, the dial? I, I also think um helena saw the watch and when they find the watch in the tomb they say that's how he knew how to make it so i think she would say keep the watch to prevent the kind of time crisis she's trying to prevent with indy but that that's being generous to things not said in the movie okay they didn't work out any of the time travel stuff right i think it's the the answer to your question it actually doesn't work at the risk of making me myself look bad, 
in the moment, as I'm like, my brain is trying to catch up and process what's happening in the movie. I was like, wait a minute. Is that Indy in Archimedes tomb holding? the?" When when we saw Voler put on the watch, I was like, oh, that's Voler's body in the tomb. Like that's going to be the end of it. But, uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's my guess is, is if you uh, watch the movie uh, or that sequence of the movie a few times and you apply some headcanon, you can make it all work. But I think that it's, you know, this goes back to something said when we were talking before the recording um, that that Jim mentioned about like, is Indiana Jones necessary at all for Raiders of the Lost Ark, or would would it like basically have ended the same way even if he was never involved? Um, that like you got to kind of hand wave away some of the um, uh, uh, you know cause and effect uh, relationships uh, within these movies because they don't really care when they're making them. But there will be some 17-year-old that will make a four-hour YouTube video explaining it, so you can look out to that. <laughs> well, but first, he's too busy making a, that video about how uh, having a woman as uh, his sidekick is uh, right. uh, some sort of a disaster about humanity. Because <laughs> um, I did get recommended a few of those on YouTube, and I had to block the channels. Um, because it's five angry jerks, isn't it? unfortunately more than five but there's yeah it's a it's a very very small amount of angry jerks who generate a lot of content and and hate watches all that said i have to say i really liked i I was a sucker for the water displacement in the tomb Mm. i'm like archimedes water displacement ah i remember that from school this is (laughs) awesome yeah i was like I'm, i'm like i'm probably not really supposed to be that excited about that but um did you go like he's gonna say the word? He's gonna say the word. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have that? Right. And then you yeah. like, you were like, there it is. I, yeah. I love that the, the biggest fan service was Archimedes fan service. Yeah. Of just like, <laughs> say it, say it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, all the stuff about the when Helen is explaining about the divers. And how, like, all the archaeology stuff worked for me. Time travel stuff did not, mm-hmm. but the archaeology stuff worked. I was into it. Where she's explaining, like, well, back in the day, there are these divers, and oh, wait, no, like, the and the, the how they're looking for the, the gr- Grafico, is that what it was called? And then, and then it's in the wax, and they gotta melt it. And then I was, I was into all that. Yeah, yeah, that all worked really well. Um, and some half-assed internet research, a lot of that is true of the Antikythera, which is a real historical object and was found on a boat by sponge divers. Um, I think I think the half the boat fell deeper is a bit of a stretch from the historical record, but um, it seems like they, they did their homework and that makes it extra cool to me. Um, Again, praising Phoebe Waller-Bridge, that virtuoso performance of her interpreting the the uh, so the graphicos and having a lot of fun with all of them while also doing the dynamite. I just I thought that was a really really fun sequence with a bunch of like language jokes built into it. I'm like, mm-hmm. this is really on all both the performance but also the writing of it. I thought that was uh, one of the most fun sequences. Um, and then the cool prop melting the wax to get the gold disc out that that all really worked for me i had a ton of fun with that i don't want to jump on the rhetorical situation because i don't have a lot for that besides this but uh showed a she showed a lot uh uh, better pedagogical instincts uh in that scene (laughs) than uh old man indy was showing in his classroom (laughs) okay i think that's a great i was going to segue rhetorical situation anyway um so Cause I think we, yeah, we've, unless there, does anyone have, is there a question that we had on the list or something that we 
in general that we haven't talked about yet that you really want to get in here? I, I mean, the only the only thing this which I don't I almost don't want to bring up, but there were there were a few things that I was seeing as complaints like online. I mean, from like movie fans, not necessarily like Indiana Jones fans, but like not necessarily in like critic critical analysis. Which I, th- I feel like a lot of the negative critical things that were separate from stuff we've already talked about is sort of rooted in f- franchise fatigue, legacy sequel fatigue, which I think makes sense. And just sort of being like, please just stop doing this. I don't, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see, I don't want to go back uh, to any of these things. Um, but uh, like other complaints I'm seeing from people is uh, like the two sort of main ones that I feel like we haven't talked about. Um, well, maybe three, we could discuss that it's really long. I, I think it was referenced earlier. This is the longest Indiana Jones movie. Could probably be shortened. Um, there's one or two things I would definitely cut. Uh, but that's one problem. The other two is that it's too, like, dour and, br- like, lays indie too low as, like, even in this sort of old man thing. But, like... He had to do like he had to have his wife leave him and he kind of either lost his job or like at least relocated for like un not fully explained reasons um we haven't mentioned it but his his son died um uh williams died on his way back to his home planet and uh they uh, you know that he's really low and it's too sort of somber and dour and it should be indiana jones should be more fun uh, and the other is that it's, it's it's sort of the opposite of the crystal skull thing um, is that it was too violent and it's really sort of cynical in how many like random people who are not like in the game are just wiped out by, you know, by the bad guys. But still it's just like, like an entire department of uh, where indie works is just shot dead and a whole like boat crew of people are just you know, slaughtered. And that some people thought that was too much. Like that was too mangold in like and not like that was too destructive it was too logan and not indie enough i guess the 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 one time i kind of started to feel like that was when they have the close-up of the telephone with the blood on it then i was like oh like what movie is this (laughs) like um i didn't hugely have a problem with the violence i think that one scene it is like the 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 person in his office getting shot and there was a close-up of her and i thought it was maybe didn't need it um, like would have been better without it, but I didn't. I didn't have a huge problem with it. The dourness, though, you mentioned, like I, I, I think it was a, a problem easily fixed, but it wasn't fixed. But I, I, I so it is very dour. But there's a long history of like noir stories with the washed up detective that's you know has you know bad relationships with his family and drinks too much and is over the hill and da 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 and so to me it just fit into that and and I think he played that part very well but what he didn't get he didn't get his hero moment mm. right he, like he really like as as little as I want to lean into the sort of misogyny that's surrounding this movie about how like he's been replaced by this by a woman who sorts everything out he he actually doesn't. From my, from my memory of seeing it today, he actually doesn't get the moment that he solves the problem. He throws a lot of punches and beats a lot of guys up, but he, you know the closest he gets is that moment of like continental drift, like I'm the smart guy. But then it turns out that that wasn't even a thing. So I'm not sure Indy gets to save the day at all. I think he just kind of mopes all the way through. And I think it would have been really nice to build in just a two-minute moment in which you get to do, 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 and he does something. 
and I don't think the movie had it. I, I do like as much as I don't want to lean into that narrative. I think that it, it he should have had that moment, and it, and it's it's a, it was a missed opportunity. I'm gonna read that sentiment through my uh, wise beyond his years eight year old, which is uh, they do throw the theme out in the prologue, um, and he when he climbs up on the train, and that might got my son to turn to me and go, yeah. Like here we go, like finally. Um, but then um, it the theme is gone for a huge swath. Um, I think it's part of that indie is not himself mood, and it maybe comes back somewhere around the tuk tuk chase. Um, I'm not positive on that. Um, but somewhere, I think just before that chase, maybe when the auction is starting, um, my son had to use the bathroom, so I ran out with him to the the restroom. And as we're running through the hallway back down, I said, what do you think so far? And he turned to me and he said, I don't know. It's, it's missing a little of that classic Indiana Jones action. And I was like, wait, who are you? Like, where is this coming from? Can, like, when can he be on the podcast? Like that? <laughs> and I was like, kid who saw his first Indiana Jones movie less than two weeks ago. Is he saying this? So, uh, but I do think uh, to Jim's point, I think it, it is missing a, a little bit of that. Um, you know, there's usually that moment where the theme really kicks in and, and he stands up and, and takes down um, and they're, they're, they're missing that a little bit. Um, you know, you could argue that when he, uh, grabs the parachute and jumps out, but that's still kind of a shared moment of, of heroism more than like him finally saving the day. But um, yeah, I guess it's it's him convincing Helena to go after the dial for the right reasons. But that's but that's diffuse. Like that's there's no single moment in which that happens. But um, I on the list of things we haven't talked about, I just want to throw in. Um, Boyd Holbrook's uh, like seemingly like KKK Southern fried boy who's like just super into Nazis and Pro- signed on. Proto fried boy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it totally worked. I think maybe they left a little too more too much off the page than on the page. But I was like, yes, there would be somebody who's just like you know. Again, I'm I'm using a lot of stereotypes, and I apologize. But he says he's a professor in Alabama, so I think he just went out recruiting at the local Klan rally and got uh, Boyd Holbrook, who's just shooting everybody. I'm not sure it really worked in the Battle of Syracuse, where he's like, "I'm just gonna just shoot out the side of the plane for no obvious reason." Um, I didn't understand that bit of it. I thought that was in character because it was like someone like that when they feel so helpless and out of their depth that they just resort to what they know. And they're just like, well, I don't even know if this is going to work, but I'll, like, this is what I can do. So I'm going to do it. That kind of made sense to me. I think, yeah, to me. Yeah. I, I agree that like, I think because they were probably worried about criticism from certain types of viewers about the politics of the movie. I think that that's why they left a lot off the page, but is there's enough there We can't hear Jim. I don't know why. Muted. Oh no! No, I was saying they they they, uh, they deliberately left out the scene in which she was waving a Confederate flag with a big swastika on the front. <laughs> right, and they and they, they that, cut they that, cut that the moment a bit on the nose. They <laughs> cut the moment when they were about to go to 1939 when they both recited the 14 words, um, and you know but, sort of you know secure the future for their white children. Yeah, well, that's right. okay. But uh, yeah, uh, but I feel like the the conversation where the the black waiter is in the hotel room with voler and the way he talks to him that to me was enough 
that I ran with that. And I was like, oh, that fills it. That shades in everything about these villains. Right. Like I, I, cause, cause that to me, cause you're, cause Greg was right. Like so much of the explicit dialogue about Voller is about him being a physicist and not about him being a Nazi. But to me, that was enough where I was like, oh yes. Okay. He's hundred percent a Nazi. <laughs> and all these other so people with, with him are right? Nazis. Right. Yes. Yeah. Because that's a big, because Belloc, the whole point is like Nazis. I don't like Nazis. I don't believe in Nazis. I'm interested in this. And that wasn't Vola's character. That mm-hmm. was sort of the deliberate point of comparison there. Yeah. And, and it also, even though they were not being explicit, it still felt pretty clear that like the bad guys are people who are trying to finish the job uh, that, um, you know, that Hitler and the Nazis started. And like, mm-hmm. they're partly, you know, someone from there, but also sort of homegrown American people like. It, it was implicit, but it also, you know, was pretty clear, I think. Um, the only, the, the the thing that, like, I wouldn't say was the fully bothered me, but I would have liked either expanded a little or or trimmed down. And because the movie is, is a little long, I guess my default would be to trim down, uh, which maybe would be unfortunate, is the woman, the black woman who is a CIA agent, there was... The dynamic there, I think, was supposed to be feel more fruitful than it was that, like, she's always mad at them for, like, you're not doing this right. And, you know, like, it's sort of the guy's private security force is interfering with my job. And but it never felt like there was almost like enough animosity from them towards her. And maybe that's because they felt so self-assured that they were on the verge of, you know, this kind of person not being a problem to them uh, in multiple ways. Um, but that sort of felt a little like she felt very underserved in the movie um, for an actress who was doing a, a great job, I thought, but just wasn't given a lot to do. Agreed. Yeah. yeah she's mostly their babysitter and complains about them. And then yeah. that's it. So. I also want to commend Boyd Holbrook for uh, once again, uh, not being Ben Foster, um, which is because I spent the whole movie being like, oh, it's Ben Foster. Um, and then uh, when the credits rolled, I was like, well, I guess it wasn't. I looked up, well, who is that? And oh, it was the guy who was in Sandman, who also I thought was Ben Foster the entire run of Sandman <laughs> until I looked it up and I was like, oh, some other guy. Um, and he's great. You think and he I, knows he's always the second phone call? Like, <laughs> yeah. Does he know that? Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I, he's great in Sandman. I think I, I almost wish that because uh, having seen his performance in Sandman, I was like, oh, his as a villain, granted, he's not the primary villain, but as a villain or as like a as henchman number one, I feel like he's slightly underwritten because I mm-hmm. know how much fun uh, Holbrook had in Sandman, like letting loose with that performance. So that was, yeah, I felt like he was a little undercooked as a, as a villain, but again, he wasn't the main villain. So I was fine with it mostly. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I also want to shout out the big wall. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was going to say the big brick wall of a man who was the other guy uh, who like, they, they got a couple of good beats out of Indy, like, t- like, like turning around to punch someone and punching him. And the guy just being like, you sit down, sir. Yeah. Um, yeah because he's just, yeah, he's just a giant beast. And, and uh, you know, proud, proud we all are of him. <laughs> okay. So I think in terms of time, we have a choice before us. We can talk about connections to academic stuff in the rhetorical situation, or we could talk about Oscars. 
Let's I have it. no academic connection. Yeah. Oscar okay. sounds great. <laughs> yeah, my, my, my only academic thing is that Indy was just totally dropping the ball pedagogically, trying to speak about a, a mathematician from history on the day of the moon landing parade and being like, I'm not going to make any connections. I don't want to reach out to where my students are and what they're thinking about. I'm going to give the same lecture I would have given 20 years ago on this. Um, I, that's that's I, just yeah. bad pedagogy. He needs better praxis. The closest I have is I teach in a city where we've had a lot of World Series parades lately. You cancel class on World Series Day and (laughs) let the kids go because they're not coming anyway. So, yeah. Nice. All right. So PT has very generously provided a complete history of the Oscars with Indiana Jones. And I, so I guess my, I have a couple of like broader questions because I feel like we can talk about it, but I feel like this movie in particular, not necess- not really in the Oscars conversation at all. I'm curious no. to hear if anyone has another theory about that. But so the broader is, the idea is like, will Harrison Ford ever win an Oscar at this point? He's kind of run out of like return to a past character performances now. What are, what are our thoughts? I think he's like the, the, he's got to be like top of the bill for like a lifetime achievement award, you know, because I think he's one of these guys that this like decided he, he had a little run there in the 90s that he tried to make like dramas, you know, like Oscar dramas he made like regarding Henry and, you know, things like that in which he tried to put himself forward as a as an actor. And then I think he decided he actually didn't really like it. Like similar thing that Tom Cruise did, right? Tom Cruise did a similar thing in the nineties. He was like, I will do Magnolia and I will do this and I'll do that. And then eventually he's like, no, 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 I'm a movie star that punches people. And I'm really, really good at it. <laughs> um, and, and, and there's only a very few people that are as good as it, as good at it as Harrison Ford and Tom Cruise. And right. so I, you know, I think there has to be a, a place to acknowledge people like that. And I think things like lifetime achievement awards are the place to do it, but not best actor. I don't right. think he's ever done a best actor performance and I don't think he's going to do it at 81, but I, I think that he certainly deserves recognition for being one of the greatest, you know, adventure action movie stars of all time. And to, and to clarify, I mostly mean, will he ever win an Oscar? in this stage of his career because he did i can't remember because he got nominated for witness but did he actually win does anyone know no he did not win okay so he so i'm correct he just hasn't but that was the that was the most that was the last only the only nomination he's ever gotten right okay well i I was quite surprised he wasn't nominated for the fugitive considering tommy lee jones won for the fugitive which you know i think tommy lee jones has the better part there but you'd think at least a nomination uh would be warranted for what he did in that film but yeah no no the the, i mean the closest he has had to what would be the best actor performance i would contend would be 1981 for a movie called raiders of the lost ark uh but he wasn't nominated um and i mean if he had i don't know it was it was henry fonda one that might have you know that was an old uh, kind of a career career award um so that may not have actually happened for him but yeah i don't i don't see i certainly don't see him winning a best actor there's like a possibility of some sort of relatively small but like he's touching and and gruff and grumpy and then gets emotional at some point supporting actor role you know similar like a christopher Plummer in um beginners uh, kind of a role, but you know, some kind of a movie uh, where maybe sometime in his eighties he gets some momentum. But and he'll probably get an Emmy for Shrinking. He should, True. you know, yeah. I mean, or at least a nomination. Yeah, you know, he's actually very funny in it. 
Uh, shrinking is great. Uh, and he's great in it. Um, I do think the only like real contention this movie would have for a possible Oscar is a John Williams score Oscar. If they're like, this is probably John Williams last score. Um, and there's any sort of like momentum of what if we gave him, what if we, what if we gave him one more, um, which I don't think we'll get. A gigantic way. pile of Oscars. I don't, I don't think, yeah, I don't think we'll get all the way to an award. Cause it's like, they'll look at the, be like, wait a minute, he has five and he has like 58 nominations. Um, but it, it, you know, it depends if there's no, if there aren't five other, phenomenal scores or noteworthy scores from you know movies that are getting uh, a lot of nominations he could squeeze in for this one but i don't yeah i mean I, you know and the other thing would be if there's if all the other movies that have visual effects in the forefront kind of flounder or flop uh and and then there's some degree of reassessment of people are like actually like what about that de-aging and what about all the stuff that happened um in that movie but i think the fact that it's not very successful uh so far at the box office um it probably means it's there's it's not going anywhere awards wise yeah and if we look at the the history of indie films they mostly are doing well in craft categories. And we've we spent a long time talking about how that's sort of the weaker part of this film. Uh, and so, yeah, I don't, I don't see it. Yeah. Visual effects. I can't see it unless like, I, I mean, the de-aging is good, but is it good enough to get a visual effects? But nomination? Probably Jen, not. Jen, what's coming this fall? What'd you just see a trailer for? Oh my gosh. You're right. Dune. Forget it. Dune. I think Dune's <laughs> just going to wipe it out because I think it will be the one that people take more seriously in all right. those categories. Um, it'll be it'll be just artistic enough to please the art house crowd while also being hope, a, presumably yeah. a big blockbuster. Right. If That's... the people ever wake up after falling asleep in the middle of it. <laughs> no, we're not starting that, Jim. We're not. This is not, this is not the time or place. Uh, <laughs> you can make fun of the prequel, sir, but I will not tolerate. <laughs> yes. I will not tolerate this Dune. We drop the line at Dune. <laughs> um, um, but it does. I mean, there hasn't been a real wow of a score yet. Um, I actually was just thinking about Asteroid City has a kind of meh score, and that's Desplat, who often grabs a nomination here or there. Um, again, Dune. Hans Zimmer won for Doom already. Doom yeah, I think so. Because he invented instruments from space, and so uh, you know, <laughs> of course, he, he really did. do that twice. Uh, I don't know. So, yeah, and and as we've already talked about, I feel like the score when you listen to it on its own is is what you would expect from John Williams. Like it's quite good, and I actually really like the Helena theme. I think it's really pretty. But in terms of how this that score is employed in the movie, as we were talking about earlier, like the 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 motifs are not particularly well placed i feel like like there mm -hmm. there's no punctuation with the score in the film in a way that i remember and so i think for that reason probably that's not even on the table i would guess the but yeah, it, i guess it depends if it is john williams so like if there's not a lot of good choices otherwise they might just throw them up the only no. exception for me would be uh, hitting the Raiders march on the way out of the theater. And then you're like, yes, Indiana Jones is great. I, I remember now <laughs> you hear it as you pick up your popcorn container and shuffle like, out into the daylight. Oh, yeah, that hat. Indiana Jones wears that hat and he listens to this music. Like, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think for any of the we're just talking nominations. I don't see it winning. Anything. Yeah. But I mean, it is worth noting, it just, you know, looking back in history, like, Raiders of the Lost Ark was a huge uh, player in uh, in its year. Uh, you know, it was nominated but lost picture director, score and cinematography, but it won 
uh, five awards, six awards, one, two, three, four, five. Um, sound, art direction, film editing, special effects, and sound effects editing, um, which is that weird when they used to differentiate sound and sound editing as gathering the sounds and then inserting the sounds were two different awards and it won it won both of them so yeah that you know it's sort of like star wars where the first one gets uh you know was like wow and then they kept making them and the academy was like okay like we we get it um here's here's some craft things for what you do but like we're not we're we're, we're good we're good here which also you know side note to the side note that also could be what happens to Dune Part Two. Like they already gave six awards mm. to Dune. Are they going to be like, yeah, they did it again, or will they find something else that uh, some other things they want to award? We don't know. Well, I'll just mush together a bunch of what was said. This is not the performance where Harrison Ford wins a career Oscar. Yeah. But like, if I was a Hollywood screenwriter, I would figure out the script to put on his desk. He has enough clout still that. He could get it done and it would be easy awards break because the industry would love to hear his speech and to to do that. When PT just described his potential part, all I heard was a description of the movie 42, which I think was maybe the last time he tried thinking that was the vehicle to get there. Um, right. So Oscar as best supporting, but it mm-hmm. didn't happen then. So it's probably unlikely now. Um, but I will also throw my love behind shrinking and, you know, he he proved he still got chops. That that was the single factor that gave me hope for this movie. And it they're very different parts, but yet I was, you know, pleased and still have on my phone him singing Sugar Ray, and that gives me endless joy. So, <laughs> right, and like I think yeah, I think maybe the possibility, the hope I'm I'm choosing to have is that shrinking opens the door where people are like, oh, Harrison Ford. Look at this. He can do that. Okay. And then that combined with he is now run out of these franchise IP roles that he can return to, right? He's he's done a pretty good job of like one and done, like being like, I'll do I'll except for indie, right? Because <laughs> he's now done this twice. But like, you know what I mean? Like with with uh with Han Solo, he's like, I'll come back, but but that's it. Like that really, it really has to, only conditionally. Like I have to be all done with this character now. So maybe if he runs out of genre roles that that he's being pushed into, although he is about to join the MCU, so I guess maybe that undermines everything I'm about to say. Um, depending on how role, how big his role is as Thunderbolt Ross, but like if he runs out of genre roles, maybe he could it will finally free him up to be able to take something that could genuinely get him an acting nomination. Who knows? can't give up yet <laughs> i'd like to see it life isn't over just because you get old <laughs> okay <laughs> um all right so i think we're ready to wrap up I, does anyone have any final thoughts again anything we we kind of missed or you feel like it's a crime that we didn't talk about or just concluding thoughts about dial of destiny like jim was saying earlier there's a part of me that will always sort of just be Riding into the sunset at the end of the Last Crusade is the end of Indiana Jones. But I also undervalued even after our whatever insane two-hour pre pre-game show uh, recorded the other night. I undervalued how happy I would be watching Indiana Jones on screen again, doing Indiana Jones stuff. So I don't know. Again, question marks of whether it like justified itself. But I was glad to. I was yeah. glad to be back. I, I, I... I left the movie going, I watched another Indiana Jones movie and that was pretty cool. You know, uh, it wasn't a particularly good one, um, but it did not hurt like Crystal Skull. Like I walked out of Crystal Skull, like in pain. 
Mm. Like, you know, like, like I, it hurt me. This one, I was just like, okay, this was, this was an Indiana Jones movie. And I, and I liked it. And that's, that's good. That's something. I mean, it's easy. It's, it's, it's harder to do than it looks. I'm sure. <laughs> what if they had just made like five of these, like between 1994 and now, what if there had just been five good to okay Indiana Jones movies? Like, yeah. wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't we be they happy? They should have done Fate of Atlantis, man. They should have <sighs> done Fate of Atlantis. Oh, yes. I, I would love to see that as a movie, even just an animated movie. Yeah. That's a point. It's perfect. It's ridiculous. Anyway. Greg, final thoughts? Uh, I mean, I'm just going to be my usual dorky self and say this actually improved a lot on the rewatch for me. Um, so uh, I, if you see it once and you're like, I don't know, I, I think a, a second or third try it that will help. Um, but. But that's easy to say as somebody with AMC stubs, so I never pay for any movies. <laughs> so I just can go whenever I can sneak out of the house. But time, well. Greg. This movie showed us that we don't have endless amounts of time. <laughs> Great. Um, well, and, and maybe that's my last thought is like, boy, do you really appreciate that hour 55 of Raiders after two and a half hours? It's like, you know, basically when I rewatched Raiders, saw that it was under two hours, I was like, there is not a single excuse for any other franchise movie to be over two hours. If Raiders yeah. can do what it yep. does that quickly, then. And I think, I mean, Last Crusade, I think is like 210. It's barely over two hours. So, yeah. This, my this final, would have benefited from there. <laughs> my final thought is just that I'm really going to miss this character. It's it, like, do being able to do the, re, like having reason to do the a full rewatch and then seeing this movie has been such a joy, you know, regardless of sort of the feelings about individual movies and stuff like that. I feel like just being with the character, being with Harrison Ford as this character has been, has been fantastic. So uh, 20 years from now, they'll be able to make a whole movie with Harrison Ford in AI and you'll, you know, and you'll be able to watch it. Perfect de-aging technology at delivering all the lines. You'll have it again. But you know? won't watch it. It'll be implanted into your brain chip. So you will have always sure. watched it. Sure. And yeah. this is why we cling to the past people. <laughs> Cause the future is dark. Um, um, but anyway, well, wait, uh, wait, Jen, you, we had a debate last episode about how attractive Harrison Ford is. And I want to say I was right. I think my 40 year old body looks exactly like his body is today. I mean, <laughs> I could take off my shirt now, but it's, it's uncanny how much I look like that. So and it is 80. achievable. It's <laughs> easy. Now we don't have to mention that <laughs> we were, we were so close to getting out uh, at a reasonable time, but uh, I do want a quick um, song take review uh, uh, on the music. I found it fascinating that in the trailer for this movie, the 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 shot of him lying on the on the chair, which in the movie, you know, it's the first thing after the prologue in the actual movie, but it was like the opening of I think the first full trailer. Um, he like jolts awake um, to the sound of "Sympathy for the Devil" by the Rolling Stones, but in the movie, it's "Magical Mystery Tour" by the Beatles. And I was very like the Beatles versus Stones of like the marketing versus the movie. <laughs> I don't know what it means, but I really wanted to mention that, um, and I, I kind of wanted to tee it up for Jim to see if he had uh, any any insight or reactions to whether uh, you know what what would have been the better choice or what was uh, uh, what, what did it mean? Jim, tell me what it meant. Stones is cooler for two minutes in a trailer. Beatles is actually better for a movie. Done. 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 I did really like him yelling at those, the, the like, turn it down. That, that was a great scene. I really liked it. Because it's, it's like embracing that Harrison Ford is in his grumpy face. Anyway, Jim, thank you so much for joining us. I'm really glad we could work this out and have you on here My to pleasure. talk about this I had, movie. I had a lot of fun. 
do you have anything you want to plug or any 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 way in which listeners might be able to contact you if they want to take you up on your hot takes I have a music blog that's called Rorschach Music on Substack that I would like people to read, um, uh, which I write every couple of weeks. We're 45 weeks into it or something. And every week uh, I get given a different word. Um, I think of uh, two albums that I, or two records that I love that that word relates to. And I, I ramble about them and what they mean to me um, in, in ways that I think are worth reading. Um, and uh, yeah, if people want to check out Rorschach Music on Substack, I would appreciate that. Thank you for the plug, Jen. No problem. And what's the, what's the, you're new at this, what's the URL? Like, what's the... <laughs> you think I know what the URL is? It's rorschachmusic.substack.com. Okay, thank you. <laughs> uh, and Greg, you know, which of the hundreds of podcasts do you want to plug that you're on? <laughs> Hey, I just comp completed my sixth podcast in seven days, so I'm Ooh. doing all right. Uh, so, I mean, three of them were with two of you, so uh, we're we're burning the midnight oil a lot. Uh, so uh, listen to me on the long take. Uh, I also host a Wheel of Time podcast with my friend Tyler, um, and uh, particularly uh, we've been going through the books, uh, two chapters each week uh, for about a year. Uh, but in August, we are reviewing the eight episodes of the TV show, and we're trying to grab some people's attention before the new season of that TV show starts. So if you are not a reader or don't care about the books but have watched the TV show or want an excuse to watch the TV show, uh, check us out. We are called Through the Glass Columns, available, I think, wherever you get podcasts. I don't know. I just show up and talk, and he does all the work. So find us there. <laughs> and PT, where can folks find you? Uh, I'm on Instagram and Letterboxd at PTMCNIFF, PT McNiff. That's you it. Can and I'm me. here. Oh. And I'm here. I'm on this because I don't I don't have a conflicting schedule. So I'm <laughs> I'm usually available when Jen sends up the beacon. <laughs> the long take signal. I have to figure out what that is. You can find me at Subchakchai, S-O-P-C-H-O-C-K-C-H-A-I on Instagram and Qui-Gon Jen on Letterboxd. This was amazing, everybody. I think I think we did we did this movie justice. We came at it from every angle. Um, so everyone, thanks for listening, and don't forget your fedora. Thank you for listening. You can follow the Long Take on Substack at thelongtake.substack.com. Subscribe for free to receive reviews of films with Oscar buzz, as well as new films and series from pop franchises like Star Wars and Marvel.